Why don't we bow our heads for a word of prayer, and then let's get started and ask God for the Holy Spirit. Father, we just thank you so much. God, for blessing us in so many ways. And Lord, thank you that you put around us a hedge of protection. But we thank you, Lord, most of all, that our salvation is secured in heaven, not in earthly things. And right now, we just want to pray for our brothers and sisters that are hurting. Some are still trapped, Lord. We know that some are starving for food right now. Jesus, we pray and ask that your angels would feed them as they fed Elijah. God, that you would take care of your people. And you would help all those that are suffering right now in the Philippines. Jesus, as we prayed during prayer meeting this week, we ask that you would bring something good out of this destruction. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. The name of the sermon today is called Sodium Chloride. Sodium Chloride. Who knows what sodium chloride is? Okay. All right. Okay, it is salt, ladies and gentlemen, that's exactly right. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to take a very good look in the Bible about a particular story that had to do with salt. So take your Bible, let's go to 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 19. And you're going to be learning about a very unusual circumstance that took place. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 19. Now the context is this. Elijah had just been translated... Elisha, his predecessor, took his place. And this is immediately after the translation of Elijah. Now the difference between Elijah and Elisha, Elijah was this great public rebuker of sins. He was this mysterious individual who showed up on the scenes and he rebuked the king for his idolatry and all of Israel and he started a great revival that took place. But at the same time, this man, after he did his job, mysteriously disappeared. His predecessor came on the scene. His name was Elisha. Now, the difference between Elijah and Elisha is that while Elijah was this great public rebuker, Elisha was this man who would come close to the people of Israel. In fact, when you take a good look in the New Testament, you hear the story of a man who had the spirit of Elijah, and that was who, ladies and gentlemen? John the Baptist, and he was this great public preacher. But then after him came somebody by the name of who? Jesus. And Jesus' ministry not only consisted of public ministry, but mostly a personal ministry. And here you have the story of Elisha, who was this man that would go and be around people. He entered into Israel, and he mingled among them. In fact, you find many different stories of his personal encounters with people. One time he was with this school of prophets, and while they were chopping wood, apparently one of the axe heads fell into the water. Another time he was spending time with the the king of Israel at that time, right before his death, personally counseling him. Another time he was helping out a Shulamite widow. Over and over again, you see Elisha's ministry consisted a personal one-on-one contact. However, in this particular story, this is right after the translation of Elijah, you have the story of Elisha, and this is the very first thing that happens in his ministry. Elisha, 2 Kings chapter 2, starting with verse chapter 2, starting with verse 19. If you're there, go ahead and say amen. Okay, let's see what the Bible is saying right here. 
Then the men of the city said to Elisha, please notice the situation of this city is pleasant. These school, this school of prophets was located in Jericho. Jericho was this place that had been destroyed earlier on by the Israelites. And so this place had a lot of issues, but people began to rebuild it. And so there was a school of prophets that was also located in this area. And they said, hey, look, this city is doing really great, Elisha. It's very ripe for something big to take place. But then watch what he says next, this man to Elisha. Verse 19, please notice the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord sees. But the water is bad and the ground what? Barren. Apparently there was something wrong with this place. You see, while there were a lot of people who were interested in rebuilding this area, they had a very significant problem, and that problem was this, that their well source was not good. Something was wrong with the water. It doesn't quite say, but we know something was wrong with that water. And because of it, people couldn't take that water, and they couldn't grow things. And so the land was barren. In fact, what's so interesting, the word barren actually means in Hebrew, one that cannot give children. One that cannot give children. And here this school of prophets is set up in this place that had some idolatry in there. They were trying to counteract the influences that were there. And so while this situation takes place, Elisha is there and he begins to come up with the solution. Look what the Bible says next. This is remarkable. Verse 20, and he said, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. And then they went out to the source of the water and cast in the salt there and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From it there shall be no more death or barrenness. So the water remains healed to this day according to the word of Elisha, which he spoke. Elisha told these men, he says, Give me a brand new bowl. They brought him a brand new bowl, and then he says, Put some salt in it. They took some salt, and they put it in that bowl, and he walks over to where the source of this fountain was. He pours it in there, and all of a sudden, the water itself becomes good again. This was totally a miracle of God. There is nothing scientific about putting salt in this water, ladies and gentlemen. This was a miracle of God. And here God used Elisha to help the school of the prophets during this event that happened. Now, as we're looking at this lesson, ladies and gentlemen, there is something very powerful for each and every one of us. When salt was poured into this water, it became good. In fact, what is so interesting today, this same exact well is known as N. S. Sultan. It is named after a sultan who realized how good water, this good water actually was, that he actually purchased the land, and still to this day, it is one of the most agriculturally rich areas of that area. And that water still flows. And here you see this miracle at the root of it. And the reason why is because Elisha put some salt into the situation. You know, Jesus said something very interesting, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. He says this. Let's read it together, ladies and gentlemen. You are the what? Salt of the earth. I know some people are misinterpreting. It said, we are the pepper of the earth. No, no, no. What does the Bible say? You are the what? Salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? Here you have a, by a symbol, uh, Jesus using a symbol to describe how his people are to be in the world today. 
It's very interesting. When you look at some of the co uh, common uses of salt, it preserves, it flavors, it heals, and it produces thirst. And in every one of these actions, this is what Jesus is calling his people to be to this world. Salt was often used for preservation. During that time, they had no refrigeration. So they would pour salt into it. In fact, when you read the book of Leviticus, salt was always used in the offerings. In every single offering, it says in Leviticus, they were to add salt in it. And the salt represented the covenant of God. In other words, it represented a continuity that God would be keeping his end of the covenant. Salt also flavors. Sometimes if someone cooks for you, it's always good to have the salt and pepper nearby, amen? You know, me personally, I grew up in a very Indian household. And so generally my taste is, it needs to be a little bit hotter. And so when I'm making food, even bland food, it still tastes hot for people. And then when I taste it, it tastes like just real cold food. But ladies and gentlemen, this is the purpose of salt. It is to flavor, it is to adjust the taste. So it becomes so unique and distinctive, it's no longer ordinary or plain. Salt also, excuse me, let's go back. Salt also heals. Salt was oftentimes used on wounds, and it worked kind of like an antibacterial. It also was something that produced thirst as well. Salt produces thirst. If you eat a lot of salty foods, you want to drink more what? Water. And ladies and gentlemen, when you think about this, God is calling his people to be salt in a hurting world. In fact, Ellen White says something so powerful here, it blew my mind away. Hearts that respond to the influence of the Holy Spirit are the channels through which God's blessings flow. Were those, now get this, were those who serve God removed from the earth and his spirit withdrawn from among men, this earth would be left to desolation and destruction. Though the wicked know it not, they owe even the blessings of this life to the presence, to the presence in this world of who? God's people whom they despise and oppress. And there are many examples in the Old Testament describing this. In fact, Lot and his family were preserved through the intervention of who? Abraham. In fact, when you read about the people before the flood, it was so bad, ladies and gentlemen, that not even eight righteous people could buffer the evil that was there. That's how bad it got before the flood. But if all the righteous were removed, ladies and gentlemen, this world would fall into complete chaos and would be utterly destroyed. God preserves this world because his people are still in it. And this is what's so amazing about salt. God is calling his people to be salt. Whenever you take some dish or something like that, and you add some nice salt to it. It changes the flavor of the dish. And this was, G this was Elisha's first miracle that he did. And his ministry was to be far different than Elijah, this scary rebuker. And this is what God is calling his people to be in this world. To infuse, to penetrate, to mingle, to become part of this world. Not of this world, ladies and gentlemen, but to be in this world. That God's grace may be felt and experienced. Amen? Amen. Amen. You know what? I had one time this experience that took place. I was uh, starting a new job. And it was at a warehouse. 
Now, I had just become a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, and I was just like, I was so excited. And I was like, I'm so excited about sharing my faith. I can't wait to do this. But I said, Lord, I want to be careful because I don't want to come across too strong. So you've got to help me. Help me to be salt to these people. And it was totally a God thing. So I got to this job. And I started working hard. I did my best. I said, you know what? I'm going to skip my breaks. I was actually working two jobs. I said, I'm going to work really hard. I was going to be going to an evangelism school pretty soon, but I wanted to be a witness. So I said to myself, I'm going to work really hard. Not as a man pleaser, but as a God pleaser. And then I said, I am going to be so respectful towards anybody who's older than me over there. I'm going to respect those who are in position. And then I said, I'm going to be the most loving and lovable Christian in this area. I didn't say the most annoying Christian, but the most loving and lovable Christian. I'm going to go out of my way to help people. And it was so amazing. Like, this was, again, God's thing. So while we were there at this work, sometimes the men would be really depressed, and I would just do my best to try to cheer them up. I wanted to be a positive encouragement to them. During break time, when some of them retired, I said, hey, give me your paper, give me your order, I'll go do it. And I would go as fast as I could. But what was so interesting, my supervisor came to me and he said, hey, you know what's so interesting? Ever since you started to work here, everyone's been picking up their pace more. Keep going at it. And I began to realize, like, this was a God thing. In fact, I began to pray with people on their lunch times. And this was totally God's work. I believe God was using me in that experience to be like salt. And ladies and gentlemen, that is to be our experience in the daily intercourse of life, whether it be with your family, it be at your work, or it goes when you're going to the grocery store, or wherever you are at, you are to change the situation by your actions. You are to be salt. You are to add a pleasant flavor to the circumstance. Amen. In fact, one thing we do need to be careful about is that when you're cooking food, you're cooking a lot of food. If you just pour salt in the same place, what happens when you take a bite of that food? What do you want to do after you take a bite of it? You want to vomit it out, right? Spit it out. You know, God's people need to be spread out. Amen? They don't need to be fully concentrated in one area, i.e. Loma Linda, right? Sometimes it doesn't taste good when all the salt's right next to each other, right? But God is calling us, ladies and gentlemen. God is calling us to spread our influence all over the world. Salt is supposed to be spread all over the dish. And just like we are ministering, ladies and gentlemen, we need to minister in various capacities. Next year, we're going to be attempting a lot of different things. We have uh, four Bible workers that are going to be coming in to do their internship. We have Mike Tuazon and Candice. They're going to be doing an evangelistic series in February. I may be doing a Operation Blueprint series in April. Ted Bays is going to be doing a series at the end. We may be doing our very first Spanish evangelistic series, completely Spanish, next year. We're going to try to get Elizabeth Talbot to do a mini-series here. We may be getting Ty Gibson to come here. Ivor Myers has agreed to come here to do a little seminar as well. And so God is going to be doing some powerful things, ladies and gentlemen. But guess what? Even that is not enough. You can get the best speakers all you want. But that's not enough, ladies and gentlemen. God is calling each one of us to play a role in blessing the city of Ceres, Modesto, all of Stanislaus area, and whatever area you're from. Amen? We are called to be salt 
in this world. Look what the Bible says right here. It's so remarkable. Walk in wisdom toward those who are on the outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with what? Grace seasoned with salt, that you may know how, how you ought to answer each one. Now, how many people here could give me an answer for the things that they believe in? Raise your hand. So three of you know why you're here at church this Sabbath. That's amazing. Four people. So if I said to you, why are you keeping the Sabbath, what would you say to me? Could you give me an answer, yes or no? Who said yes? Elias, why don't you come up to the front? When you answer the questions here, you get in trouble. <laughs> All right. You bring your son, that's cute. You're going to get points for that one. <laughs> Elias, in 20 seconds or less, tell me why do you go to church on Sabbath? God say so. Okay, a little, little bit more, Elias. Help me out here. <laughs> 20 seconds. <laughs> Well, in Genesis 2, we have the commandment. Our God said that uh, he rested on that day. And he then, the commandment, remember the Sabbath day, and I keep going on and on. Okay, good. Pretty good. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Elias. Amen. Now, you're probably wondering, why in the world did he do that? Why in the world, why in the world am I doing this? How many people here could tell me from the Bible, in a few seconds or less, what happens to people when they die? Oh, Jim, why don't you come up to the front? All right, Jim, say you're meeting some punk in the alley, and he says, hey, what happens to people when they die? What are you going to say to him? You're going to go to sleep. You're going to go to sleep. Okay, tell me, from the Bible. Well in, in, well, in Revelation, it says those that are asleep in Christ will be raised when Christ comes. Where does it say that? Revelation. I'm the, not sure. Revelation what? The one in the back of the book. <laughs> Hang on. Hang on. I got it right here. And all right, what he said. <laughs> Hang on, I get it right here. Over here in the back. Hang on. Let's see. We got Psalms one forty six three and four. Psalms one fifteen seventeen. What does Psalms one forty six say? Whatever it says in the. <laughs> I gotta go back and look it up. I all right, Jim. Down. Okay, we'll give. I'll give you that one. Okay, I believe you. Thank you very much, Jim. Oh, pretty good. How many people could tell me why they believe in health? Why it's important to be a healthy Christian? How many people could do that? Oh, nobody could? Wow. Oh, Millie, why don't you come up to the front? Pretty tough, Millie. Now, you're probably wondering, you're wondering to yourself, why in the world am I doing this? Just wait. Just wait for this. All right, Millie, tell me why it's important to be a healthy Christian. I'm a child of the king. That's special. Also, my body is the holy temple. Whatever I do to it, I have to think, will he be in me? If I ask his Holy Spirit to dwell in me, can he be in me? So, number one, the health message is a gift from God. We are so blessed to understand 
that God told us what we should eat and drink and all the different things, other things he's told us. Okay, I'm, convic- I'm convicted. Okay, thank you, Mallory. <laughs> How many people here could tell somebody who didn't know about this why they should believe in the Bible? Could you tell somebody who wasn't a Christian why they should believe in the Bible? One person. Anybody else? Good, Ted, anybody else? Scott, you're our head elder, and you're a pastor still, um, and a math teacher, all the above. Super husband and father, awesome example in our church. Could you tell me why I should believe in the Bible? But you got to come up here and do it. And here comes the catch, ladies and gentlemen. You ready for this? Now, Scott doesn't know what I'm going to do right now, but he's coming up here and he's thinking to himself, well, I'm ready for this. I got some stuff I'm going to be sharing with him. (laughs) Wait. I need you to be salt. You're going to lead me to the Lord. Be some good... Oh, you got your own mic. Okay. Pastor Neil. Okay, hold on one second, Scott. Before you go any further... I want you to communicate to me without talking. <laughs> your belief system. Good luck. Rough? You want to fight me? Looking up, I need a hurry. Anel Kanda, yes? Swimming? <laughs> the sky? Whoa, I don't know what you mean by that. <laughs> you want to make cake? <laughs> Help me out. I'm trying to understand right now. You're lonely. I'll give you a hug. Amen. Amen. Now, I did not tell him about this. You can take that off. Here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen. Most of us could probably give an answer for the things we believe in. But how many of us could live in such a way that people will know by our actions the things that we believe in? I know some of us feel rebuked right now. Ladies and gentlemen... It's true your actions should speak louder than your words. But what are your actions communicating? You know, I work with the family, my family, who I can't speak about when it comes to spiritual things. How do I communicate things of God without having to talk about things about God? Ladies and gentlemen, now hold on a second. I want you to understand it. Did you see the difficulty that Scott had? I misinterpreted everything he did. Here's the thing. I believe God is calling us not just to know the truth intellectually, but to be living out the truth so that when people are seeing our lives and they're seeing our examples, and I really appreciate that was awesome, Scott. You hugged me. You know, I felt immediately loved. That they will know what we believe in by the way we live our lives. 
And that's what this salt is all about, ladies and gentlemen. It's not just about what you know, it's how you live your life. The best way you're going to convict people about the same things you believe in is if you live it out. You say, I believe in God. Then you ought to act like you believe in God, amen? You said, I believe in what the Bible is teaching about the Sabbath. Then you ought to live your life in such a way that people know this person is a Sabbath keeper. If you, know, if you believe in, your, in the Bible, then you ought to live your life and people can see that this book is special to you, ladies and gentlemen. See, it becomes one thing when we're ready to give the answers, but it's another thing when we have to live out those answers. And some people live it out in such a way that it is so powerful that you know what kind of person they are. And this is the kind of salt God is calling us to be. In fact, take a good look at what Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 says. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, what? Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no what? Law. If a person was mute, he could still have the fruits of the Spirit. Amen? And nature has the best way of attracting animals. Do you know what nature does? Do you know how a tree wants to reproduce itself? It'll put out the most luscious fruit. And you know what animals do? When they see that bright-colored fruit, they will be drawn to it. And as people see the fruits of the Spirit in your life, ladies and gentlemen, Christian or not, those things are respected universally all across the board. When they see the fruits of the Spirit manifested in your life, they're going to say, you know what? I want what he has. I want to experience what he's experiencing. What does he got that I don't have? I want that. Ladies and gentlemen, and this is what God is calling us to be, like salt. That whenever we walk into a situation, it becomes this place where people are drawn to us, not because of the way we look, but because of the people we are, ladies and gentlemen. And when the Spirit of God dwells in you, you will bear the fruits of the Spirit. They won't know you for being the bitter one or the one who's angry or the one who doesn't care. They will know you because of the person you are. I know that person. That person is a loving person. You know, I worked at a school one time. I actually taught Bible classes for about a year and a half at an academy. And as I was taking over that class, I asked the kids, I said, the former teacher, did you guys really appreciate him? And you know what they said to me? Oh, yeah, he was one of the best teachers we ever had. And I'd say to them, okay, what was your favorite thing about this teacher? And you know what they would say? Consistently, this was the answer. He's funny. And I would say, okay, what do you mean? We don't know, but he was really funny. And I would say to them, I'd say, did you learn anything? We don't know, but it was fun. And over and over again, the one thing that characterized this guy was that he was funny, but there was nothing else to it. Ladies and gentlemen, there ought to be more to our life than that. I'm not saying let's remove humor, but I am saying this, ladies and gentlemen. There needs to be a better characteristic than that that takes priority in our lives. People ought to know the kind of people we are, that when we come into a situation or when we're coming to a circumstance, that as we step into it, it's going to be different. You know, the very first miracle Jesus did was similar to that of Elisha's. Do you know what the very first miracle Jesus did? He walked into a wedding and he helped out the people. 
And then everybody began to say, wow, this is much different because he entered into the situation to the point where even the master of the feast said, look, normally this is how weddings go, but this one, whoa, 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 this wedding is much different. And you know why? Because Jesus, the salt of the world, came into it. And as we enter into circumstances, into environments, various things around us, ladies and gentlemen, we need to be a positive ingredient in that equation. Can you say amen to that? And this is so powerful. Jesus was teaching his disciples. And by the way, when you read Daniel chapter 4, do you know what Daniel chapter 4 is about? It is about the conversion of who? King Nebuchadnezzar. By the way, do you know what King Nebuchadnezzar was like? Yeah, he was so wicked that if you looked at him wrong, you could be dead, right? He would toss people constantly into the furnace. When you read about the conversion of Nebuchadnezzar, read about the very end, and you know what it says when Nebuchadnezzar was converted? That his counselors and his wise men sought after him. Do you know what that means? They actually wanted to be around their king once because he was no longer that same wicked king. He was now a converted king. And this was the man that they were looking for. And this is the man who was gone for seven years. Just as an animal, God was humbling him. And when he came back, he says he lifted his eyes and he blessed the Lord. And he was a changed man near the end of his life. And what is so remarkable, ladies and gentlemen, historical records record that even Nebuchadnezzar came to the belief that Babylon would come to an end. He finally accepted the prophecy of Daniel 2. This was a different man because he was converted. Ladies and gentlemen, we don't want to be the kind of people that when we walk into an environment, everyone's like, oh, we're going the other way. You know what they call those kind of people? Toxic. Toxic people. God is not calling us to be toxic people, amen? He's calling us to be like salt. That when people around us, they feel this encouragement and this affirmation and this lovingly, uh, this lovingly uh, direction, just pointing them in the right place. There's the Lamb of God. And when they see us, they don't feel this condemnation, but they feel this love that cares from that truly is concerned about their well-being. You know, what's so interesting, I hate to share this story, but I'm going to do it anyways. I really hate to share this story. So you guys know how, like, every other Sabbath, I talk about my mom trying to make, get me married and stuff. So she called me up recently, and she said this. I don't want to tell this. Okay, I'll tell the story. She said this. She said, Alberta." I said, yes, Mom. She's like, this is what she said. I want you to come home because we have a nice girl in India we want you to meet. And I said to my mom, I said, Mom, I'm not going to do that. And she says, I want you to come home. We will fly to India, and we will pick her up and bring her home. And I was like, Mom, we're not going to do that. And I, and I was like, just like, push the hang up button. Just do it. And she kept persisting. She's like, I don't care. You're going to come home. This is how it went. You're going, she, you're going to come home. We're going to fly. We will go on for one to two months. She'll come back. She'll make me tea, and she'll cook some food and rub my feet. And I was like, Mom, you want a housemaid. <laughs> I told her that, and she was like, I don't care. You come home right now. <laughs> 
And so I'm listening to my mom right now, okay? This is how it went. She was telling me this, and I was like, okay, man, I'm just ready to hang up my, uh, my mom right now. This close. And I was like, Ugh. You know, one time my mom, she even said that, and she was like, I want you to come home. We're going to go with your man. And I was like, no, mom, no. And I hung up, <laughs> you know? But this time I was like, okay. I'm going to be a Christian to my mom, the most loving and lovable Christian. And you think it's easy. (laughs) Try dealing with an Indian mother. And I was like, Mom, I'm not going to do that. I got so much going on here at the church. And she's like, you better come home right now. And I was like, Mom. I said, I'm not coming home. And you know what? The normal, the old me would get so annoyed and I would say, Mom, and I would start this argument. But I just persistently, lovingly just kept it there, okay? And this is what's so funny, okay? This is what happened. And we're just talking. She's never done this before. So while we're talking, and I was like, she was like, you need to come home. And I was like, Mom, I don't even live at the house. How are you going to make me do that? You know, and she was like, I don't care. You come home right now. And I was like, Mom, don't worry. God's going to provide. And then she's like, I don't care. She's like, she says things like that. And this is where it went. And I was like, Mom, and this is, I believe, from God. And I was like, Mom, don't you worry. I'm going to marry somebody just like you. The old me would have given up. Okay, but here's the thing. As soon as I said that, there was silence, and I started hearing this giggling on the other side. <laughs> and now, you know, I talked to my mom just the other day, and she asked me, she's like, when are you coming home? She wasn't even bringing up the whole marriage thing. She just wants to spend time. Here's the thing. I have completely a different system of beliefs. But I want my mom, my family to feel in such a way that when I show up, it's a breath of fresh air. They're going to find somebody who loves them, who cares for them. And ladies and gentlemen, that's what salt is about. That's what salt is about. That's taking something that is ordinary or something that doesn't even taste good. And then when you're adding this ingredient, all of a sudden it becomes something else. Something desirable. And I want you to be thinking about this, ladies and gentlemen. What kind of situations do you have in your life that God is calling you to be salt? What kind of circumstance is there? It could be the most difficult circumstance, and God is saying to you, I want you to be salt in that situation. It could be a trying situation where you feel like you're at the end of the rope, and God is calling you to be salt. In all these things, when it comes to our lives, ladies and gentlemen, God is calling us to be what he was on earth, and that was the salt of the earth. To add flavor to it. You know, I was coming down to this, and I was coming to this understanding, I was reading this in a manuscript. These disciples, talking about the disciples of Christ, were to proclaim truth that was to shake the world. But before they could do this, they could be, before they could be the salt of the earth, now watch this, they must form new habits, they must unlearn many things learned from priest and rabbi. And today, those who would represent Christ must form new habits. Theories which originate from the world must be given up. Their words and their works must be after the divine similitude. And this is extremely important, ladies and gentlemen, because if we're still representing the world, all we're going to be doing is leading people back to the world. And so we need experience with Christ. You know, the Pharisees and uh, Sadducees, when they called the disciples during the book of Acts, and they saw the godliness in these men, the holiness in this man, you know what they said? These men have been with Jesus. They knew these men were now different. 
They knew that these men had an experience with Jesus. You want to know why? Because they were acting like Jesus. They were not acting like everybody else. And so they came to that conclusion. These men have been with Jesus. And when we spend time with Jesus, we're going to be good salt to this world. Amen? In fact, what is so remarkable, when you read the scriptures over and over again, you will find that the source of power always laid, now here it is, the source of God's people's success always laid in their communion with him. When you make Jesus first and foremost, you will have an influence in this world like nothing else does. It's so remarkable. Look what the scriptures say in Psalm 110 verse 3. Your people shall be what? Volunteers in the day of your power. In other words, it's talking about your influence. In the beauty of holiness, now watch this, from the womb of the morning, you will have the dew of your youth. David here is describing his communion experience with God every single morning. And when he came out of it, he had a fresh vitality, even though he was getting older. There was still a a jump in his step, a mental vigor that was still there. A love for souls. And here David said, this was the root of it. From the womb of the morning, that when I got up, the very first thing I did was spend that quality time with Jesus. Nothing else got in the way of that. And he says, it is the dew of youth. You want to know what the fountain of youth is? Spend time with Jesus. You know, the Bible describes Moses, that even when he was an old man, that his step wasn't slow anymore. It wasn't slow still. Like he was still fast. Come up that hill really quickly. He had spent time in the presence of God. Even Ellen White, many of the people during her time recorded that this 80-year-old woman would still walk around with a skip in her step. You know? And this is what is so remarkable. And this is talking about more spiritually, more mentally, you will have this vigor, this youthful vigor that comes when you spend that communion time with God. Now, when you think about Jesus, for example, look what the Bible says in Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, Jesus went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he what? He prayed. He spent time in the early mornings of hours, in the only early morning of the hours. But here's the thing, it wasn't only Jesus. Look what else the Bible says about Job. Thus then Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. Job would be interceding for his family early in the morning. You want to know about successful people? Here they are. This is a habit that was constantly practiced over and over by them. Look what the Bible says about Abraham. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord, describing Abraham's communion with God. Take a good look at what the Bible says about Jacob. Jacob rose early in the morning and took a stone that he had put on at his head, set it up as a pillar, and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. Take a good look at this. Exodus 24, verse 4. Moses wrote all the words of the Lord, and he rose, well, early in the morning, and he built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. When it came to worshiping God, this great leader found his strength in his communion time with God. Look what the Bible says about King Hezekiah, who was one of the great reformers during the time of the kings. Then King Hezekiah rose early, gathered the rulers of the city, and went up to the house of the Lord. Look what the Bible says about David. This is David speaking Psalms 119. I will rise before the dawning of the morning and cry for help. I will hope in your what? Word. The very first priority 
of the most successful men in the Bible was that they got up early in the morning, even before anybody else was awake, and they began to just drink in the Word of God. A communion time where everything was just silent, quiet, and they would linger there in the presence of God and they had a connection with Jesus, and they knew that he was speaking personally to their own hearts. And because of it is why they became the most successful men of Scripture. The reason why they were such powerful influence in this world, why they were effective, why they were effective as the salt of the world, is because they spent time with Jesus. Look what the Bible says in Jeremiah. Since the days that your father came out of the land of Egypt, until this day I have ever, I have even sent to you all my servants, the who? Prophets, daily rising up early and sending them. God is saying, I'm sending these prophets to you. Getting up early, I'm sending them to you. These messengers. Ladies and gentlemen, God is wanting his people to experience heaven as the very first thing. If you want to worship God and you want to give him the first fruits, you give him your freshest thoughts. You give him your energy that you have in the morning. And you give him these things as soon as you wake up. And you can even challenge God, wake me up in the morning that I may learn just to commune with you. And you will find yourself a changed person. And that when people see you come into any circumstance, you are now seen as this guy is the game changer. This is the guy where everyone starts feeling good. This is the type of person where people feel like Jesus himself has just walked into the room. And God wants to give you that experience regardless of whatever circumstance you're in or event or whatever it is you're going through. God is calling you to be salt. And it begins, ladies and gentlemen, when you wake up in the morning and seek first the kingdom of God, and you make that a priority above all other things. And you say, Lord, you speak to me this morning. And you will find God in that very room ministering to your heart. And you will feel this vital connection charged with a heavenly current when you walk out, ready to face this world anew because the Spirit of God dwells in you. A friend here is going to be singing a very special song, Trista. And this song is a song that is going to speak to all our hearts. Trista is 10 years old, but she's going to be singing a song about the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God. And as you're listening to it, may your hearts and your minds be open to what Jesus is calling you to experience. God is offering us something very special to see his goodness and his greatness, his glory every single day when we wake up. I believe God is challenging us like never before to seek him out and to see him for who he really is each and every day. Jesus is coming back soon, ladies and gentlemen, and he wants to bless you and use you in a greater way, especially in these times. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, because you are an awesome and great God. 
And Lord, we acknowledge that we are nothing without you. And God, we have no power apart from you. You've called us to be a part of this end time movement to spread the message of your soon coming. And Lord, we confess our helplessness. Pray that you would be with each person that every morning they would be filled up, God, so they could share with others. Bless each person, God. Strengthen us. Give us hope and encouragement like never before, God, because we need it. Help us to keep moving forward. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.